listening to BuddhistGeeks.com. September 17th, 2007. Episode 37, Tibetan Buddhist Studies at Naropa University. In this episode, Ryan chats with Troy Omafrey and Corey Lystico, two of his fellow classmates in Naropa University's MA Indo-Tibetan Buddhist Studies program. They discuss the nature of the courses, their personal experience, and what to expect if you decide to pursue the program. This is part one of a two-part series. This episode of Buddhist Geeks is sponsored by the Do No Harm Movement. To find out more about the Do No Harm Movement and to receive a free Do No Harm bumper sticker and wristband, please visit www.donoharm.us. I'm in the Falling Fruit Studios today with Troy Omafrey and Corey Lystico. They are classmates of mine in the Naropa Master's Program in the Indo-Tibetan Buddhist uh, Program, specifically the Shedra Track. And I've had a lot of people email me inquiring into what the program's like, if it's cool, if they should follow it or uh, get into it. And um, I thought the best way to let people get a little insight into that was to talk to um, a couple of my classmates and let them share their experiences there. And we're just going to end up talking about the program, what it's like, our opinions of it, and let people chime in in the comment section. To get started, I thought maybe if Troy and Corey, if you could all give some background to who you are, how you got to the Naropa program. So Troy, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, let's see here. Started a long time ago now, but um, did my undergrad in philosophy. Went on to do a master's in philosophy, Western philosophy. Mm -hmm. And somewhere in there, I became enamored with Buddhist philosophy. So I started reading pretty heavily. Uh, Decided eventually to study Tibetan, and Naropa seemed like a a good choice uh, in terms of the Tibetan program. Heard good things about Phil Stanley. He's Mm -hmm. the uh, Tibetan teacher. His um, way of teaching Tibetan sounded good. It sounded Mm -hmm. very strong. So I applied. Um, so I did my master's, uh, master's in philosophy before this, and that was at Hamlin University. Basically, I was able to do whatever I wanted, and so I, I studied a lot of Western philosophy, but as I did that, gave me an inroad to Buddhist philosophy. That doesn't have any connection, really, with Naropa. The stronger connection, connection was with uh, Jules Levinson, who taught at Hamlin as well. And uh, Jules Levinson is currently a translator with Leido Baritsana Translation Committee. And before that, he taught at Naropa. Mm-hmm. And he told me about Naropa. So Naropa was always kind of sitting in the back of my mind. Naropa, Naropa. I can go to Naropa. That could be kind of a backup. And I have to admit, I knew it was a place I could definitely go because I knew that I'd get in. You know, it was not a Harvard <laughs> in the sense of getting in. It's not so hard. Right. And so I knew that I wanted to continue my study. So that always was there. Mm-hmm. When Naropa became a university, accredited university, mm-hmm. and I started to hear about people going on from that program to places like Harvard and UC Santa Barbara and other places, I started to get really excited because I thought they've sort of blazed a trail. Now it's possible for me to go on to do a PhD, which is which was my uh, right. original idea. Yeah, it's interesting how Naropa, to get into the program is quite easy. I mean, at least at this point, and at the same time, our program produces a lot of PhD students. You'd think that wouldn't correspond, but it does. <laughs> what's your practice background? Uh, what tradition do you practice in? Started off in uh, the Vipassana tradition. Did some retreats under SN Goenka, mm. um, which is still in the Theravada tradition. I, you know, did the spiritual shopping thing for a while. Went to, uh, you know, like five different meditation studios. 
was searching for something. I don't know what, you know, just some sort of satisfying meditation practice. And I loved Vipassana. It seemed very simple and direct. But I always heard about Tibetan Buddhism, and it seemed like it was cool. <laughs> it seemed really... Um, different and deep and uh, serious and <laughs> kind of rock starish kind of, of like the rock star <laughs> thing you know like uh you can either play in kiss or you can play in like a garage band you want to play with kiss right uh, that's a terrible analogy but you want to play with the pros right? oh man i um have a buddy who i met up with one day and he's like hey dude you should come over to this tibetan buddhist monastery and uh, check out these monks are pretty cool so i thought okay you can probably get a mala from them. I was like, mala? What's a mala? Like, These beads, and you say mantra. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So we went there, and uh, they had like, it was like one of these days, some Tibetan festival, I don't know what it was, but they had this huge, like, size of a garbage can <laughs> pot of soup on the stove. Nice. And they're like, oh, come in, yabudu, yabudu, come and sit down. Uh, and I sat down, and they gave this teaching, and then we had this feast. And uh, in each person's soup, you would get like this dough ball in a particular shape, and that would tell like a fortune. And I got the dough ball with salt in it, which meant that you're the one, if you get the dough ball with the salt in it, you have to eat everything else in the pot. You have to finish the soup off. Nice. So they kept on feeding me soup. I was like, okay, oh, thank you. No, I can't eat anymore. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was hungry. <laughs> so that was very, that was very heartwarming. I thought they were very sweet. The woman who was teaching at the time, American woman, uh, a nun, she uh, taught the Lam Rim for three years, and I studied it with her every Saturday night. I went, and I just kind of fell in love with Tibetan Buddhism, actually. And, you know, I hung out with Jules Levinson, too, who, if you ever meet the guy or know anything about him, you, he'll just, he just uh, emanates Tibetan Buddhism, he, everything about him. Uh, he has such um, enormous respect for Tibetan Buddhism and the Tibetan people, um, and he kind of uh, influenced me in that way. And so I just became very enamored with Tibetan Buddhism. So I just got even deeper with the Gelug tradition. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear you talk a little bit about that because the Shedra program is Kagyu-based. And so, you know, you get a little bit of razzing at the, in the classes, but it'll be interesting to hear your just a little bit of razzing. I almost didn't make it into Boulder. They checked me at the border. <laughs> <laughs> too I, too many convinced people? Them, I convinced them that I was Kagyu and they let me in. Oh, so. nice. Good. Cool. Thanks. So, Corey, can you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your education? What brought you here and what your practice is? It's kind of a long time getting here. I did my undergrad at Western Michigan University. I had originally been studying electrical engineering and studying Japanese at the same time, so I was able to spend a year abroad studying Japanese culture, Japanese religion. And that was actually my first exposure to studying religion of any kind was in a classroom hmm. in Japan. So immediately I fell in love with just the study in general of religion. But that was also my first experience of meditation, where my teacher sent me over my Christmas break to a place he called Club Zen, which was this international Zen temple in southern Japan, <laughs> where they brought in foreigners who wanted to try the Zen experience and give it a try for six months before they became fully ordained. I had no desire to become a fully ordained monk. However, it was Christmas break, and I was in Japan, so nice. why not? As amazing as it was, it was pretty painful. I <laughs> Sitting for that long every day was uh, pretty excruciating. However, 
the lifestyle was pretty appealing. It was very simple. Uh, the food was very simple. Everything was very simple. And I started to really kind of get into the flow of things there. So mm. the kind of flavor of that lifestyle kind of stuck with me. And I was kind of chasing that for a while. So when I came back to Michigan after my year abroad, changed my major to comparative religion, threw myself in the studies of religion of any kind. However, specifically Buddhism was mm. really where I was interested, specifically Japanese Buddhism, mm. not even Zen necessarily, how all the different flavors of Buddhism there. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I had the intention to go on to grad school, I was sidetracked for about 10 years. I left Michigan, went to Los Angeles, and after a brief stint studying acupuncture and Chinese medicine, I found myself uh, on my backup plan of doing computer work, specifically uh, web development and design, uh, working mostly in the nonprofit sector in Los Angeles for many, many, many years. Well, as rewarding as that was, (laughs) shortly after my 30th birthday, I kind of remembered my desire to uh, go back to school. And sometime in that 10 years, I had heard of Naropa, um, Mm -hmm. not specifically for this Indo-Tibetan Buddhist program, but Naropa in general, its history. I had read some of Trungpa's books in my studies of Buddhism, but I hadn't really thought about going here for grad school. However, when I started researching on what kind of program I wanted to study, I wasn't even looking for Buddhist studies in general. The idea of contemplative education that Naropa was really pushing caught my eye. I didn't know why. I didn't even know, understand what it was. But the fact that meditation was an integral part of the program uh, was definitely appealing. I've had various uh, meditation practices over the years in Los Angeles. My main practice was actually with a student of Swami Muktananda in the Kashmir Shaivite tradition. His name was Mark Griffin. Mm. So he had also, Mark had also studied under uh, Trungpa as well as Kala Rinpoche over the years. So he wasn't teaching explicitly from a Kashmir Shaivite perspective. He was very open to the ideas that Buddhism had to offer. So he was fairly supportive in me looking, you know, in any kind of tradition. So that was my meditation experience for many years in LA. So when I came out here, I had, of course, seen different Tibetan Buddhist teachers that had come through Los Angeles. I'd see the Dalai Lama whenever he came in the town. But the first connection that I really had was with Trungu Rinpoche. I'd seen him in Los Angeles a couple of times and then came out here to Colorado um, and would stay down in his retreat center down in Crestone and found a very good connection with uh, the Kempo and Lama that are down there. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I really started thinking, well, maybe I will lo- really look into this Indo-Tibetan Buddhist program. It was mm-hmm. going to be religious studies in general at first, because I was interested in studying both Buddhism and the Hindu Tantra side of things. But after talking with them and just reading more into it, I found that this program, specifically the Shedra program, and it's very unique set up for a way of study actually following the Shedra tradition seemed very unique and uh, appealing. So I just kind of ran mm-hmm. at it full steam. And even before I came here, started studying Tibetan a little bit on my own and really kind of reading into more of the tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. And the more I read, the more I kind of uh, became fascinated with it. So by the time I got here, while I can't say I had a long time Tibetan Buddhist practice, I had seen quite a few different aspects of it and uh, was very, I felt that this program would 
be a very good starting point for a lifelong practice. I felt that mm. there was some amazing information in here, and by no means did I think it was an end. I felt it was very much a beginning, and that's been my experience so far. Mm. You led into a little bit about a description about our program. The master's program of Indo-Tibetan Buddhism is divided into two tracks, the history religions track, and that track has teachers like Reggie Ray and Judith Simmer Brown, um, and they head up that side of the program. And then we're on the Shedra Tibetan tradition track, and Shedra is monastic college. So that means basically like our program is, I've been describing it as, as a, a succinct version of monastic college that <laughs> you know the Tibetan monks go through. I don't know how succinct, but definitely a little bit shorter than that. So I wonder if we could get, maybe talk a little bit about the nature of our program, what the classes are like, what's the emphasis. So we already mentioned that it's a Kagyu-based track. We're actually sanctioned by Natarta Institute, who's created the program, and we, we've modeled the program off of their teachings and their way of doing monastic college. Maybe we could just dive in there and, and talk about different aspects of what we've noticed about the program and what stands out um, in it. So... Either of you would like to jump in? Well, I found the first year we had a very unique insight into, I think, Buddhism in general. Hmm. We focused mainly on the early Nikaya tradition, specifically Vaibhashika and Sautrantika schools of Buddhist philosophy. And the most intriguing aspect of that to me was a simple look at the phenomena that is used throughout Buddhism as sources of refutation and our attachment, for instance, objects and things and getting into specific definitions. So we know what are we talking about when we say a thing? What are we talking about when we say a mind? Mm -hmm. And those simple things, as, as much as I thought they were kind of superfluous, right. I found them actually expanding and enlightening so much of what I had previously studied in Buddhism that okay, I can look at any of these texts I read beforehand and go, oh, when they're talking about mind, this is exactly what they mean. Right. This is specifically what they mean. Um, yeah, this is a good point. And so you, you laid out some terms there that are pretty <laughs> geeky, but yeah. Buddhist geek, so that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, like our track tends to hang out in the Hinayana realm of teachings. But um, as you were saying, what I discovered is that Hinayana is so surface level i guess when if you like go into bookstores and read about hinayana and so we've got gone into a lot of detail with that and discovered a lot of detail of that there's much more going on there and especially when you start applying it to practice and analytical meditation that there's a lot more subtlety going on in practice and that you get a little bit more vocabulary with that to describe that and to use that as guidance within meditation and so we also do have some classes that are meditation based that complement that so for example um we have an two or three analytical meditation classes. They've changed it as we've been in the program, but one that goes in the first semester, one that accompanies Manyamaka, maybe it's just two. I think we're, well, we have another one. Analytical meditation one and two, and then self and no self, which is... So, yeah, it has meditation built into it. So, yeah, so this is a um, particularly important point. And I always call the program hardcore. I call it hardcore compared to the History Religions track, but basically, <laughs> I don't know if that's valid, but because I'm not really in it. <laughs> but we get... I guess it's hardcore in the sense that we get really detailed. I mean, we go through all these definitions, like the whole shebang, and we don't skip over anything, which is why we don't get as far in the program. We only basically, we get a little bit of Mahayana. We touch on that in terms of the Tibetan Buddhist teachings, but we spend a lot of details and a lot of time there. Phil had mentioned when I came in actually to check the program out and sit in on classes, I 
was of course concerned about graduating from this program and having the potential for move on to a PhD program. And he said this program actually brought about some unique understandings of Buddhism that the people who had graduated from this program and gone on to PhD programs found that they had much more in-depth knowledge of these very specific philosophical ideas, whereas most Buddhist programs tend to not gloss over them, but take a step back and look at things from a larger perspective. The fact that we're actually diving into one particular tradition's view of these ideas and studying them in depth actually gives a very uh, unique understanding and maybe an advantage in some way. Yeah. Maybe going back a little bit with um, what we were saying before, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about how it's affected our practice, like even the first year, because at least for myself, and I observe this on a lot of other folks that I know in Tibetan Buddhist realm practitioners, that it's easy for us to skip over a lot of stuff because we get teachings like Sogjin and Mahamudra, and it's really easy to jump to those really quickly and think that's what it is. And in taking these classes, I realized that I've learned a lot more and actually I'm experiencing a lot more than I ever had before. And that these teachings also help me to understand the, the later teachings like Sogjin, like, because they use a lot of technical terms that I think Phil says is they turn them on their their head. And if you don't know what they're doing, it, how can it have any impact? So I guess maybe we could say a little something about that and how our classes relate to that. What do you think, Troy? Well, I, I kind of wanted to back up and just maybe reiterate, I don't know if it's reiterate, but to say something a little bit more about sure. this sort of first order, second order discourse that goes on in religious studies departments. Mm-hmm. And, or you talked about this just for a second, where in a regular religious studies department, you'll have a lot of second order discussions, you know, like, this is what the Tibetan Buddhist tradition says, this is what the Kagyus say, and opposed to, this is what we're going to do, we're actually doing the practice. So it's more detached, there's not like a personal connection with that, with what's being more dis- studied. More descriptive. Kind of right? like going through a museum and looking at things versus exactly digging in. Yeah, so that's an important point. Since we are taking this practitioner normative viewpoint on this stuff, right? then we're never encouraged just to leap ahead uh, in mm. in view. And so as we're taking the class, we're always reeled back down to the view, the view that we're in at that moment. Mm-hmm. So I remember my first term because I thought, well, Majamaka, uh, what else do you need? I mean, that's everything. It's everything is empty of inherent existence. Done. Uh, let's just meditate on that, <laughs> you know, and, right. or we can have discussions on that level. And, and that's where the hard work lies for me. I thought I didn't realize like Corey, like, you know, Abhidharma contains all the terms that are necessary that are played out that are, I was going to say, there's like exhortations in the Mahayana sutras or criticism of the earlier, of the earlier works. So, but if you don't know what they're talking about, in the earlier works, then you won't really know what they're talking about in Madhyamaka. The way Phil teaches and Lama Tempa teaches is a whole different world. Actually, this is a good point. If anybody's going right. to apply to this program, they should know these different styles. They play off each other very well. Yeah. What do you think, Corey? Yeah, I agree. Uh, you have Lama Tempa, who's a graduate at uh, Room Tech Shedra in India. He's got an Acharya title, very well versed in 
any of these philosophies within the Buddhist tradition. And then you have Phil, who's a graduate. Is he ABD now? At yeah, the, he's been like ABD. I don't know. He's like in the middle of his dissertation. So he's been like perpetually well, he's, there. But he's, he's out like of the, the yeah. PhD at UVA. And yet at the same time, he's got an interesting practice background, started back with Trungpa and has been aligning himself with the Natarta Institute, teaching these very specific Kagyu tradition texts. Uh, so he's, he's well-versed. So we have yeah. two very interesting viewpoints of all these studies. It's good this that program, like, I mean, the, 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 the program is, it's like, it is what Lama Tempe is and it is what Phil is. It really is. Cause they you teach know, pretty much they are every class. What shape the entire experience there. I know I'd always, I always want to reach across and, and take classes from like, uh, Reggie Ray and, oh, totally. and, and, and Judith Simmer Brown and, and Sarah Harding and we're not encouraged to do that. Uh, this term, I've decided to audit. I'm uh, sitting in on Reggie Ray's third turning. Nice. And getting a completely different kind of presentation than I'd get from Phil. Yeah. Or Lama Tempa, obviously. You're getting a much more sage-like presentations, lots of stories. Uh, yeah, Lama Tempa tells stories too, but always uh, very much couched in. The uh, Lorik and Dudra. Yeah, that's so. the that's a big difference. I mean, like they spend a lot of time in Mahayana and Vajrayana, which is much more colorful, and you know the teachings are a lot looser. You know, and, and ours is like very detailed and structured. And you know, more about Lama Tempa and Phil is that I think that's why the program does work and why it's so good that we have people who who come into the program and they become just translators. That's all they do, or they're only coming there for Dharma. And then we have other people coming because they want to have PhDs and. Everybody wins. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com, copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.cforchaos.com. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.